The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 2 of Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is the oldest, largest and most diverse national retail body, representing a $360 billion sector which employs 1.3 million Australians. As Australia's peak retail body, representing more than 100,000 retail shop fronts and online stores, the ARA informs, advocates, educates, protects and unifies our independent, national and international retail community. 95% of our membership is small business who are our focus for season two. Small business is big business. In this season, we'll be getting to know the people behind small businesses that are the lifeblood of so many of our communities. We'll be chatting to industry leaders who are shaping the small business landscape and learning more about the digital innovations that are driving them to success. Joining me in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy today is Phoebes Garland, the co-founder of Garland & Garland Fashion, a fashion management and consultancy agency and G&G Collective, a lifestyle jewellery brand. Phoebes has over 25 years of experience in sales, publishing, advertising and fashion. She's also an ambassador to the not-for-profits Shake It Up Australia, which focuses on finding a cure for Parkinson's disease and Adopt Change, an organisation working towards a home for every child. Phoebes also works with the Fashion Design Studio and the Australian Fashion Council, so clearly she has her finger on the pulse when it comes to the upcoming trends in the fashion and accessories industry. I can't wait to explore this with her and learn more about her story to success. Phoebes, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Paul. Phoebes, you can... You clearly work across a lot of different areas, given your your bio here. And as someone with a great passion for fashion myself, the first thing I want to know is what first drew you to the the fashion industry? Well, it was a bit of a mistake, actually. I, I've always loved fashion, but I never really planned a career in fashion. Um, my husband's been working in it for 53 years. He claims that he's got a life sentence. <laughs> um, he's... <laughs> 70 years old and he's like he he fell into it by accident I think it's just an industry that happens like that but I've also I've always worked in a commercial element so we set up our fashion brand management in 2002 in Sydney and I was working in publishing I joined him full-time when the GFC hit I just felt that publishing was getting very difficult at the time Mm. and um when we first had the agency we only had one brand called Black Pepper do you remember that I remember it it very well we stopped it at David Jones when I was there you did (laughs) you did and you know what it was such a dark horse of a label you know um and it was very elderly and a very niche product, but our whole agency was built on that label wow. um, initially. And it was, yeah, that's the sort of sales that it was. It was just incredible at the time. And then they stopped wholesaling and our business had to change significantly. So we really focused on lifestyle and fashion categories, which really resonate with independent retailers yeah. and the Australian lifestyle. And we also started during the drought, we started our own 
jewelry lifestyle brand, which has been fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. And look, and what about the industry that has kept you here? Because it is, it's a tough industry. It's competitive. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, you know, it's relentless, right? If you think about what the, the fashion industry particularly has gone through, uh, through COVID, what's kept you here? Look, I'm a little bit of a sales geek and I have to say that the last four years, last five years have been really difficult. Um, the drought really affected our business quite significantly. It really affected retail. Mm. We had a lot of retailers in Central West that were heavily affected and these people, they have very good businesses and they were, you know, indenting quite significant orders yes. um, and it really had a downflow effect to our business. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm a bit of a total sales geek and it's a bit sad but I still get excited when when orders come through. But also, especially when a retailer um, has a really good season with our brands and comes back and orders strongly, it's really satisfying. And, um, you know, I maintain it's all about the sell-through. And I always say this, you know, I, I don't take any of our sales for granted. No. And I, I also really love that fashion evolves. As my husband says, it's evolution in fashion. It's not revolution. So trends come back, but they'll come back with a slight twist. It's not about really reinventing the wheel. Um, and I'm also not afraid to ask retailers the hard question. Yeah. So, you know, how did our brand sell? If it didn't work, why didn't it work? What could we do that's better to improve the sell-through? And I think you really have to listen and take on board and work out a street a clear strategic plan yeah. um, moving forward if something's not working in a brand. Um, and to be honest, a lot of brands are really scared to listen to that feedback. Yeah. Um, but that's what keeps you on top of your game, isn't it? You know, well, that's, absolutely. that's really important. So, so important to get customer feedback. And it's interesting, I was reflecting, as you mentioned, you know, nothing really in the fashion industry is really new. And for our young no. listeners that are actually um, listening today, they'd know that, um, in fact, for those of us that have been around a little longer, that every decade at some point gets repeated and it gets contemporized. And, you know, really right now it's all about the 90s and we're seeing a lot of the 90s fashion um, trends, uh, contemporized, of course, appear um, as people are coming out of lockdown. They'll look forward to lots of colour and a lot of, um, a lot of uh, blousy outfits, I guess. That's probably the best way for me to describe it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was really funny. We once had a fabric agent that showed my husband this fabric and he said to him, this is a really new fabric. And Rob just, you know, very kindly laughed and said, honey, there's nothing new about that. I saw it in 1970. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us don't want to give you know, our age away. No, agree, agree. We always, and it's really, it's about the decades really um, uh, repeating themselves in a contemporary way. And yeah. the good thing is um, that's where I guess organisations like yourself can really help steer retailers because you've seen some of it before. So you're able to, you know, give the, the do's and don'ts, I guess, around helping uh, particularly retailers uh, do the best with their their um, with the stories and um, product ranges that they choose. Oh, absolutely! And look, you know what? Like the we've got some very good retailers that are very experienced, and a really good retailer knows when it's the product or if it's external factors as well. Yeah. And those experienced ones ride with it. So you know, if something hasn't worked for a season, they won't just drop a brand. They'll stick with it and they'll work with the factors that did work and they'll really look at the external um, sources. And I really respect those retailers that are really honest um, and philosophical about that because the feedback from them is just so invaluable and it's, you know, it 
there's nothing more rewarding when I sort of say to them, well, look, that element of the range may not have worked well, but have you considered this range, this element of the range, you know, the pants yes. are very strong or, you know, certain components and they come back and they say, oh, look, that's fantastic. It worked really well. So, you know, the good retailers will really look at their buying and be quite philosophical and and, and really sort of analyse whether yeah. or not it's external or or the label. And look, sometimes it is the label. Sometimes after a couple of seasons, it might be the label. Um but I think that you just can't take any of that personally. And I think, you know, for brands, it can be difficult. They put their heart and soul into it. But I guess sort of having the middleman, I, I sort of um, lessen the blow a little bit. <laughs> what you're advocating, I guess, is some honest, sometimes honest self-assessment, I guess, as you get feedback yeah. from customers around what's what, what works and what didn't work. And as long as we're continuing continuing to learn, that's what um, yeah. makes happy customers. Now, Phoebes, I'm going to yeah. uh, digress slightly because I did read your story, your personal story, um, uh, recently, and I was sort of struck by um, partly about your your heritage, your background, your um, early time in Australia. I'd be really keen if you were happy to share some of that with our listeners today. Yeah, well, I was born in Vietnam um, in 1974, and um, I only actually really I only threw a dot change once I did a bit of research because I had to speak to um, at a conference. Um, I really researched Vietnam, and I realised that. In 1974, it was such a precarious time. Um, they had just done Operation Baby Lift only four months later um, mm. in Vietnam because it was still very dangerous. So my parents went over there and um, went through about, oh, she, my mother said she went through about 10 orphanages and had a look at babies and she said, I just didn't feel quite right. And she said then she came along and she saw me and she just felt it was right and they had to get me out of Vietnam and um, they said, look, you're going to have to stay here for a month. And my mother said, there's no way we can stay here for a month with a baby. Mm. And my mother was a nurse at the time, so she bribed them with painkillers oh, and a wow. bottle of whiskey <laughs> and pushed it over the counter and said to them, will this help? And sure enough, it did. My papers got stamped and I got out. That's amazing. Um, and I was allergic to rice at the time. Thank God, because can you imagine? If I've been in <laughs> that Vietnam, is hilarious. I mean, how could you be Vietnamese and be allergic to rice? <laughs> exactly. That is hilarious. Um, what do you think about that? That's a that's quite an amazing story. And I know you've given a, a, an abridged version just now. But what do you think about your early childhood has has you know helped you or, or, or given you some learnings for business? Look, it's it's given me a sort of real resilience in business. That's and I know that that's a real buzzword, and especially with COVID, everybody uses that word. But I don't think that there's anything more resilient than being um, an intercountry adoptee growing up in the eighties in a very sort of racist mainstream Meadowlea Australia. You know, it was a very different time. We didn't have, you know, these days I can go down the road to. Um, you know, to Zetland and it's like little Chinatown. It's amazing. You know, there's so many it's Asians. great to see. I actually, yeah, and I had an ex-boyfriend who had a bit of a, a thing for Asian women and he said to me, you know, you're not that special anymore. You're everywhere now. <laughs> and we just had a good laugh about But it's true, you know, we, we have this wonderful country where it's you know we have this diversity and it's yeah. fantastic and how 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 important well I'm, I'm pleased you got rid of that boyfriend by the way it doesn't sound like it yeah. was worthwhile to keep on hanging on to how important do you think diversity and inclusion is in the fashion industry Look, it's really important. You know, there was a time when we'd only have sort of certain models looking a certain way and, you know, it was very sort of 
rigid. And I think that, you know, having that cultural background, um, and this was very passionate to me when we started the jewellery brand as well, was um, incorporating part of my culture into the brand to have that storytelling and having that authenticity. Um, And that's what customers want. They want to see... They want a story. It's not you, there's the days of just selling fashion or selling a brand is not enough. It's got to have something that moves people. And um, when there is a really authentic story, um, people respond to it. You know, mm. the customers respond to it. And we found that being very honest through our journey. Um, sorry, another buzzword, but <laughs> we've um, found that being very honest. Um, with our journey with Parkinson's, with my husband having Parkinson's um, and incorporating that as part of our storytelling in business, it's been fantastic because it's really had an open conversation. And, you know, I I understand that a lot of people are very um, hesitant to admit faults in business or to admit uh, supposed weaknesses in business. Um, But in actual fact, if anything, it's actually opened huge amounts of doors for us in terms of this inclusive um, conversation yes. with with other people with the disease, and also just taking the stigma out of this disease. Mm. You know, it's been that's been a real passion of mine to really, as an ambassador, is to really take that out um, for people suffering with Parkinson's yes. because I can see firsthand what it does to people and. Um, yeah, I mean, we're very honest about that. We don't pine away from anything. And I've really, what I have really loved about that is that, that it's given people that have been very hesitant to come forward to contact us and to discuss things and have this open conversation and demyth a lot of things about the disease as well. So, yeah, look, it's, I, I've really, that, that to me, um, my my involvement with my not-for-profits is just as important as my business because it's something that I'm so passionate about. I can hear that in your voice. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's amazing work that you do and um, all credit to you and your husband too because um, it's it's great to be able to to actually have a business and, and, and do the work that you're doing but equally to look at ways to give back. So all credit to you. Oh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> Through your business, Garland and Garland Fashion, you work side-by-side with small and medium-sized fashion businesses. Do you think there is one key to success or many? Look, there's so many key to successes. Um, I think that we – one thing that I've learned um, through this whole process of the drought is we really have to work with brands that are in it for the long haul. Um, Our brands are fantastic. The brands that we've got on at the moment are really good. They – really trust us to do the job and they really trust our advice when things aren't working or when things are working. And we have grown their businesses quite a bit. But, you know, there are times that it ebbs and flows like anything, you know, that's what retail and sales are like. We're, we are beholden to retail and retail is beholden to sometimes outside conditions like drought or economic conditions. Um, and there's so many factors that affect that. So, you know, we're only as good as a, how a retailer performs. Um and the businesses that we have, they're all experienced. They've been in it for a long time. They understand the process. And we have to work with people that, that, that do understand the process because, you know, I mean, some of the brands that we've had, they're like family to us. In yes. fact, one of them is, is, um, my daughter's God's, God, 
father. Yeah. And um, whenever I say to Rob, look, you need to ring Chris to, you know, chat about work or something, they end up talking about the football instead. <laughs> <laughs> <he's remembered. laughs> and I'm like, do you actually ask Chris about that? Like, oh, no, we ended up talking about Hawthorne instead. <laughs> Fantastic. Now we're going to yeah. sh- shift our, um, our attention and discussion around emerging trends and innovation and technology in, in particularly yeah. in the fashion industry. And we're seeing lots of emerging trends uh, with innovation and technology. How can small businesses in fashion embrace these opportunities and not left get left behind? Look, I just had to sell um, an entire season in lockdown, and at at the start of this, I was a little bit beside myself mm. because I had you know twelve ranges. I mean, you try and explain to a retailer that's in the mid-north coast when you're selling heavy-duty knitwear what the weight is. You know, it can be very difficult. Um, but I got my head around that. So, you know, these days if you, you have to work with brands that have this digital technology. It's just so important. Um, the virtual showrooms, the videos, and really good digital content. Um, the content is amazing. You know, people underestimate how important that content is. But bad content can cost sales um significantly um in fact we really tested some with some facebook advertising and it's incredible to see the difference in sales between one picture and another you know and yes it that really surprised me actually because we had this very sleek image of this this woman and yet incidentally the product shots got more traction than the actual um than the earrings um worn on a person Mm. so you know it was it was a real it was really quite amazing looking at that um and also, to be honest, most agents actually ass- uh, um, assess images before they take on brands. So that's right. how important it is. Um, we can't achieve the sales for brands without these images. And it's probably one of the biggest frustrations that we have is if the content's not good enough um, and if brands don't understand how important it is because it is the difference between getting a major retailer on board for your brand and not, yes. you know, that's how critical it is. Um, and, you know, one of our brands came forward this season, they did a huge overhaul. A lot of them actually had to send their brands to Queensland to get shot because of obviously lockdowns in New South Wales and Victoria. And um, they've come back with some fantastic content. And one of them said to me last season, he said, oh, my God, he said, it really has made a difference to sales, hasn't it? And I said, yeah, it's 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 amazing. So it's you know, yes. COVID's really changed the question about about technology. And and do you think that these trends are here to stay, Phoebe's? In in your opinion? Oh yeah, look, definitely. And that's the other thing that we're noticing is that um, independent retailers they can't justify the necessarily the travelling costs and the costs it takes out of their shop to come and do their buying sometimes can be very difficult for them, mm. um, particularly in regional areas, particularly for small businesses as well. Um, and they don't have a lot of these regional retailers that we deal with, they don't actually have COVID. So, you know, they're terrified um, sometimes of coming to the city and they don't want to be the ones responsible for bringing anything back. So yes. um, it was amazing. We just did the entire... Um, I've done so, every season. It's probably been more and more selling via digital technology wow. than in person, and um, I've sort of got it down pat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I guess um, it works sort of well, like doesn't it? Everywhere. Yeah, well, of course, yeah. you, you get, yeah, that's a good point. Um, the lighting does become really important, but it does make it um, yeah. interesting, doesn't it? It's sort of, in many ways, operating digitally does open up opportunities for businesses that may not have had the funding to, to, to travel previously, so they'll be able yeah. to cr- do this mostly on 
on their own computer and their own um, uh, phone, uh, and again yeah. get the get the lighting rights. Good tip, um, but that's that's important. It actually almost then allows this um, this type of work to become more accessible to small business. Oh, absolutely, and and it's you know it's. It's it's been fantastic. I mean, I was very concerned about it because winter is actually our biggest season, which is kind of ironic, but it is. And I put that down to knitwear. You know, it's such a strong category mm. for for winter, um, and that was a category that we found incredibly recession proof. Um, we've we've had two lockdowns where it's performed exceptionally well. So, you know, and we're talking the category performs really well in and out of COVID lockdown. Wow. So it's been a, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real eye-opener and we're, we have two very strong brands in it where that perform very well at retail. So that's that's been fantastic, yeah. Terrific. Well, Phoebs, I want to shift um, now to sustainability for small businesses and I, I guess one yep. of the, the um, information we stumbled across at the Australian Retailers Association was a piece of research that said that Australians were three to four times more concerned about sustainability and climate change than they were about COVID, which is disturbing given, um, you know, for, for, for the industry to be in lockdowns as they were uh, and to have to come out of such a, a long um, and painful process that decimated small businesses. So I'd be interested to understand a little bit more because your brand, G&G Collective, has very clear sustainability practices outlined on its website, such yep. as using cruelty-free buffalo horn earrings that support small communities in Vietnam, which we're pleased to see, and sustainable packaging yep. and logistics. Can you talk me through your journey here? Is this something your customers call for or was it integral to your business from the onset? And do you have any tips for other small businesses wanting to take steps in this space? Yeah, look, I, I have had that feedback. I mean, this is one of the wonderful things about having an agency is that I get this feedback from retailers all the time. So we have retailers that come in and they say that their customers are constantly asking where things are made, how is it made, concerned about plastics, concerned about packaging. Um, and so when we started the jewellery brand, again, I wanted this sort of authenticity of giving back to my birth country, which was something that we started to do. And we wanted to support small communities and artists and makers. Um, our horn has a full, well, we don't do so much of it anymore, but this is how we started the business. It's, it had a complete full life cycle right. where the animal was used for milk, farming and meat. And when it died of natural causes, it was repurposed for the horn. So nothing was wasted. Um, and it was also supporting beautiful small communities and small families that were in the hills. And it was lovely. And the product was actually very commercial. It, it was also a beautiful, neutral, natural polished product, which yeah. complemented the linen and lifestyle stores really well. So it merchandised really well. And we're now working with a luxury Indian supplier who is a really ethical business and she makes all our natural stones and she's working on our premium collection and all her business practices are about sustainability and looking after workers. And ethics is really important to me. I, I, mm. I know customers are wanting sustainability, so my retailers tell me that they come in asking for things um, where they're made and logistics and we make sure that, you know, um, that everything's got an answer behind it yes. um, and we know where things are coming from. Um, and where, you know, during COVID, we didn't cancel, you know, a lot of businesses were cancelling orders and we didn't cancel any orders with our suppliers um, when we were doing jewellery. In fact, our suppliers came to us and said, what do you want to do? Right. You know, COVID had just hit last year and everyone was freaking out. It's like the world was ending last March. And I just said, look, can you just push it back for a couple of months and I said I promise I'll do the right thing and take it from you because I'm not cancelling the order and sure enough we did and we also you know 
We're very stringent about making sure that people are paid on time. Um, I really understand what it's like for small businesses and it's really important to me that people are paid on time. Yes. Um, so, you know, we like to have a really good relationships. We're dealing with staff um, and anyone that contributes to our business because at the end of the day, I'm really grateful for every sale that we get. I don't take anything for granted. Mm. And gratitude is something that's really important to me in business um, and to make people feel appreciated and valued is one of the best gifts you can give people. Um, so I, um, that's a big part of our ethos as well. Um, and, you know, we started working with a, a new fashion brand and they're all about being happy, which I loved as well. And when we started working with them, that energy of working with brands like that is really infectious. So, you know, it's very inspiring and that's what we want to be as well, um, just in our business dealings with everybody, you know, from whether or not it's the suppliers to, you know, our customers. I mean, I love getting handwritten notes from our customers saying we received the jewellery, we loved it, the packaging was amazing, you know, they they love the whole process and that's really rewarding. It just makes you want to do better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Phoebs, if you had one piece of advice for a fashion or accessories retailer heading into the next 12 months, what would it be? Look, I think that you've got to have a variety of suppliers. COVID's made um, sourcing very difficult at the moment and um, we're, we're struggling a little bit to get supply um, because of delays in China and delays in India. It's, you know, India got hit with COVID very badly and it's affected some of my labels. Um, so you really need to have a variety of suppliers and you need to have a variety of product. Um, retailers really need to manage stock um and really stagger that stock to ensure that it's arriving you know throughout the season so there's that freshness um and manage inventory levels really carefully and allow for some in-season and indent buying because essentially without the indent buying that there's no stock for a lot of the period so you know i know that you know people during covid they want to buy in season but you know supporting indent is really important for brands longevity without the indent there's no stock a lot of the time well, you've raised some really amazing um, points and some great insights there. Phoebes, thanks for joining us today in the Amex Lounge. Congratulations. Keep up the great work and we love what you do in the fashion industry. Oh, thanks, Paul. That's very sweet. Thanks for having me. I'm pleased to be joined in the Amex Lounge by Suji Sanjeevan, co-founder of Light & Glow Designs. Suji and her husband Jeeva are both doctors who turn their minds to alchemy. Their whole range of award-winning luxury soy candles and scents are handcrafted in Melbourne. Light & Glow's carefully blended premium fragrances don't just smell amazing, but help you to relax, refresh, revitalise and reignite your senses. Suji, thanks for joining us. You and your husband, Jeeva, were both practising doctors before you founded Light & Glow, where you started out selling your products at market stalls. Your vision from day one has been to be well-known locally and globally. Now that the borders have reopened, do you have any business expansion plans and how do you see Amex supporting you on this journey? First of all, thanks for having me, Paul. Um, yes, now that the borders are open, it really opens up opportunities for Light & Glow. Over the past few years, we've been really focused on growing nationally and American Express have been fundamental in um, gaining that exposure for us. But with international ports, for example, Asia and Europe and US are on the cards so we can meet people face-to-face and I think that face-to-face contact really um, makes a difference. So... The American Express Shop Small campaign that happened back in 2019 really was fundamental for us growing nationally and that exposure to consumers. And we really have leveraged off that and hope that that will help us in our global expansion. 
Suji, thanks so much for joining us in the Amex Lounge. Sounds like a really exciting time for you and Light and Glow. All the best for your future success. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry.